Let's get into the word this morning as we continue on in Isaiah, really the celebration. As we come through, work our way through the second part of Isaiah, um, there is a mountain peak of the book. And it's next Sunday, so I'll disappoint you that it's not this Sunday. This Sunday will be good. But next week is the mountain peak, which is Isaiah 53. And it's a story of the suffering servant. It's a clear message of the prophecy of Jesus who would come as the Lamb of God to take away the sins of the world. So everything that is really said today is building up towards that because that really is the peak in the book of Isaiah of what he wants to, to share. But we're going to look at the chapter before, uh, which is just as good, and Isaiah 52, uh, which is the celebration. It's the preparation. It's the time that the exiles are ready to go home. And so they're celebrating. But to give us some contact text, we need to uh, move back just a few chapters to Isaiah 45 and introduce a character uh, that is mentioned uh, quite a lot all the way through Isaiah because he's, he's God's man for the job uh, and he's not Jewish. And I know you say, well, what difference does that make? Well, he says, well, because he is called God's anointed and he's the only person in the Bible who's not Jewish who is called God's anointed and his name is Cyrus. We have to remember when Isaiah was written that it's a, it's a prophetic statement, it's a prophecy of things that are going to happen in the future. And these are one of those, this passage, this us today, is that really what we're talking about today, something that's going to, to happen. And the name of the man was Cyrus, and he was going to be the deliverer of God's people from captivity. And simply the words spoken in Isaiah 45 is actually prophesied over 100 years before Cyrus is born. And so that supernatural prediction of Cyrus by name, more than a century before his birth, stands as one of the most stunning proofs of the Bible's divine origin. See, when the Bible speaks and speaks of prophecy of things that are going to come and are going to happen, there's a guarantee that, that it will happen. God is behind these events. He is controlling these events in, in this situation here with King Cyrus. He says God is in total control. He knows his people are in exile, captivity, and slavery. And God can use anybody and anything uh, to fulfill his purpose and fulfill his will. And Cyrus does two things that will help us understand where we are. The first one is this. He destroys the Babylonian Empire who have taken the Jews captive and he allows the Jews to return home to the Promised Land. Those are the two important things that he does. And so he's the anointed one, which we've looked at before, the one that's set apart, the one that God has a special plan for, even though he was what we would call a pagan king, even though he wouldn't be a, a, somebody we would look at and see as a person God would use, but God uses him. He said, there was an understanding that we must have when it comes to uh, Isaiah and the prophecy that comes through, and it's this. God's ultimate purpose is far greater than a fulfilled prophecy of his covenant love, God's purpose is the salvation through Christ of people from every nation, tribe, people, and language. It's the purpose of the Bible, that God wants relationship with his people. All the way through the Old Testament, it says we see the prophecy mentioned, and it's not that the fulfilled prophecy is important, and it's not that the covenant love is the most important, though they are important. Really, the purpose is this, is salvation through Christ of people through every nation, tribe, people, 
and language. And so God chooses Cyrus to play a role in this redemptive history as he released the Jews from captivity. And this is where we simply pick up chapter 52, as I've shared a little bit of the context, beginning at verse 1, says, Awake, awake Zion, clothe yourself with strength, put on your garments of splendor, Jerusalem, the holy city, the uncircumcised and defiled, will not enter you again. Shake off your dust, Rise up, sit and throne Jerusalem. Free yourself from the chains on your neck. Daughter Zion, now a captive. For this is what the Lord says. You were sold for nothing. Without money you will be redeemed. For this is what the sovereign Lord says. At first my people went down to Egypt to live. Lately Assyria has oppressed them. And now what do I have here, declares the Lord. For my people have been taken away for nothing. Those who rule them mock, declares the Lord. And all day long my name is constantly blasphemed. Therefore my people will know my name. Therefore in that day they will know that it is I who foretold it. Yes, it is I. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. Listen, your watchmen lift up their voices. Together they shout for joy. When the Lord returns to Zion, they will see it with their own eyes. Burst into songs of joy together, you ruins of Jerusalem. For the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord will bear, lay bare his holy arm in the sight of all the nations, and all the ends of the earth will see the salvation of our God. Depart, depart, go out from there, touch no unclean thing, come out from it, and be pure, you who carry the articles of the Lord's house, but you will not leave in haste or go in flight, for the Lord will go before you, the God of Israel will be your rear guard. It's really opening up here talking about good news. And it's really the theme of this first part of this uh, chapter 52 that we're looking at and our focus will really be there on that verse 7. Why? Because everybody loves good news, don't they? Everybody loves to hear uh, good news. We love to hear, or we should love to hear when other people do well. He says, we love to hear uh, maybe the announcement of, of a birth of a child or a wedding announcement or when somebody gets a new job or when somebody gets a bonus. As a pastor, I love it when people get bonuses because I know it's 10% in the offering and we'll change you up for that. When people get the all clear from a medical examination, uh, an unexpected gift, people love to get good news. And here in this passage here, this is the declaration that is being shared that there is now going to be some good news coming. This is the chapter that precedes next week's one, which is the, the, the chapter of the Messiah, the suffering servant. But it talks about the one who is bringing the good news. From the beginning to the end of the Bible, it talks about the good news. Proverbs 25, 25 says, Like cold water to a weary soul is good news from a distant land. Matthew 4 verse 23 says, Jesus went throughout Galilee teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. Mark 1 verse 1 says, the beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. Mark 1 verse 15 says, the time has come, he said, the kingdom of God has come near, repent and believe the good news. Acts 5 verse 42, day after day, the temple courts and from house to house, they never stop teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. There's just three examples from the Old Testament, uh, from the Gospel, 
Gospels and from Acts, which is a birth uh, of the early church. The, the, the expression, the proclamation of the good news. We need to hear some good news today, don't we? 2020 really needs some good news, doesn't it? He says, not stopping us doing what we're doing because it's the right thing to do and we believe that God is with us. But we really need to hear some good news. There were three months left of 2020. I think we would all say we probably had a fill of bad news for 2020. So we really need to look and see some good news for 2020. I don't know if it'll happen, but hopefully. But listen, going back to the chapter, it opens with the responsibility of the people to simply wake up. Because it's now time for God to give them the good news in their situations. They're told to wake up twice previously in chapter 51. They've been told to wake up. And here they're told right at the beginning of the chapter, look, it's time to wake up. Clothe yourselves, put on garments, shake off the dust, rise up, sit and throne, free yourself from what has been held captive. The good news for them is this is God is setting them free. And he shares with them that simply is redeem Jerusalem, which is the holy city, and it's now time for them to go home. So God wants to share with them that good news. But they have this responsibility here that it tells us at the beginning to clothe yourselves, put on garments, shake off the dust, rise up, sit enthroned, free yourself from what had held you captive. They had always been fighting something and have shared with you many times uh, they, they, they had made, committed these actions, committed these sins, done these things wrong. They were paying the consequences of the things that they had done. You know, Egypt had enslaved her. Assyria had oppressed her. Babylon had taken a captive. And Israel had learned all these hard lessons that sin drags you down into the dust those who ought to be reigning with the Lord. This quote is so true that it says, sin will take you further than you ever expected to go. It will keep you longer than you ever intended to stay. And it will cost you more than you ever expected to pay. I think that would be true of the people. Taken into captivity and slavery and exile. At the point where they thought this is just one decision. This is just the beginning this is just me making one decision to go against God has resulted in all of the people being held in captivity, held in exile. Why? Because I believe that's true. It takes us further than we ever expected to go. It keeps us longer than we wanted to stay. And it certainly will always cost us more than we ever expected to pay. But God is coming with the good news because he said he's redeeming Jerusalem. If you go back to Isaiah 1 verse 21, it tells us these words spoken by Isaiah. He said, see how the faithful city has become a prostitute. She was once full of justice, righteousness, used to dwell in her, but now murderers. And Jerusalem is simply commanded to awake, to throw off the defiled garments and celebrate the glory of God's sovereign reign. This is just another illustration of God's amazing grace towards his people, uh, towards the holy city, because God has put his name into it. He dwells in it and he wants his people to return home there. We know that the second part of Isaiah was already opened up with these words of comfort to Jerusalem when it says to comfort them, to speak tenderly to Jerusalem, proclaim to her that a hard service had been completed, that a sin had been paid for. They'd been a victim of, of, they'd been a victim of God's judgment, that Babylonian aggression, and God had simply declared enough is enough. 
We began to think about it and we relate it as we relate it to us. There are some people that God has forgiven you, but you keep, won't forgive yourself. You keep beating yourself up. You keep thinking it's not enough that God has forgiven me. I have to keep punishing myself to try and make myself feel better. God has come to these people and he simply said, it's enough, that's enough. They've been in slavery, they've been in exile, they've been in captivity. The words I want to speak to them now is it stops. And maybe there were people here this morning as I read that, I thought to myself, I thought there were people here who constantly keep beating themselves up. They constantly feel as though they haven't paid enough of the price for the forgiveness that is theirs. But you can't pay the price. There is nothing that you can do. He says it's why Christ went to the cross. And you see, we, 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 we in a sense, limit what Christ has done if we think we should be punished. And all we can do sometimes is come and do what it teaches us to do in Scripture. If we confess our sins to God, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. That's the promise of God. And so we can't keep dragging this stuff around with us because God says to the people here, it's enough. He says, you've been through it, it's enough. And so he then moves on to the verse that we're, we're really focusing on this morning. This good news, this verse of celebration begins with the prophecy of the beautiful feet of those who bring good news. This, has been a, this is both a here and now fulfillment, but also a future expression of something that God wants to do because Paul repeats the verse in Romans 10. The good news is news of peace, glad tidings and salvation. He says, when it talks about the beautiful feet of the one that brings the good news, he says, if you look at the culture of the day, everybody walked around in bare feet. He says, feet would not be beautiful. They would be walked through dung and dirt and sand and mud and everything else. And it's why the servant was required when he went into somebody's house that the first thing that happened was somebody would wash your feet. They would wash your feet. And so when the expression here is how beautiful are the feet of the one who brings good news, that's important because feet speak of, they speak of motion, activity and progress. It was simply the only way that good news could be transported. I mean, if I wanted to share with you some good news today, I mean, I would just stick it on Facebook or we'd announce it from the front of church or we would let everybody know fairly quite quickly. You couldn't do that back then. The only thing you could do was walk up to somebody and tell them the good news. That's why the feet were so important. But it was telling us something else as well, because even though it tells us the good news, the good news can all be summed up in that glorious proclamation that's made when he simply says, your God reigns. Take 52, 51 chapters of the slavery and the exile and the captivity and, and they're the feeling God has been silent towards them and absent. And, and they've experienced that judgment because they have walked away from God. And simply Isaiah comes in in the middle of all of this and simply said that this is it. Your God reigns. He says, what do you mean your God reigns? What, just, just over church this morning because we're, we're in a religious building? No, 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 your God reigns. Well, what do you mean just over some people's lives? Over, over just that certain group there? No, no, no. He said, your God reigns over everything from beginning 
to end, from birth to death. He's in control of everything. He not only sees the beginning to the end, he sees the end back to the beginning. Uh, and, and for these people, they're there and they're like, they can't quite grasp what it means that, that your God reigns. You know, often at times in our lives, we think because we're having a hard time or a difficulty, it says God has abandoned us and forgotten us. This is what these people felt. And yet this is an assurance towards them that your God reigns over everything. Uh, of everything that's happening. It says over coronavirus and over the lockdown and pandemics and all the other words that we never heard of a year ago. It says your God reigns. Uh, and we hold on to that because as they see here, why is it important that God reigns over every situation and circumstance? Because it says this, you know, where God reigns, peace reigns. You know, God is at peace with them. The time of Jerusalem's warfare has ended. The time that God has been angry with the people and cross with the people has ended. It's now time for them to go home. It's now time for them to go back to where they're supposed to be. And so peace reigns. And so where God reigns, it tells us glad tidings reign. Glad tidings is just good news. Good news reigns. And it's building up. They're climbing up the mountain. Because uh, the peak is, is the Isaiah 53 of the Messiah, who God sends to save the world. But here, it's the good news that there is one that is coming. Because when the one that comes does come, where God reigns, salvation reigns. And suddenly this message results in overwhelming joy for the watchmen who guarded the city, who break out into overwhelming joy. The watchmen would have stood there every day, looking out over the hills to see any sign of good news. Nothing today. Next day, looked out over the hills, see if a sign of any good news. Nothing today. Next day, you know what I'm saying, don't you? Yes. It says, and it's like Elijah. And he waits for the cloud because there's been no rain for three years. And he sends his say, go and check. And he goes back once and he goes, no, no rain, boss. Comes back the second time, no rain, boss. And he just sends him and if you work for him, you'd be frustrated. But on that final time, he sees the cloud in the sky and it's the rain, the promise of God has been fulfilled. The story of the prodigal son, what does the father do every day? He goes out and he looks up the track for the sign of his son coming home. He goes out, not today, he's not coming home. I wonder what's happening to him. Goes out the next, he's not there. And suddenly one day in the distance, he sees his son. What does it tell us he does? He goes into the house and he makes a list of all the things his son's done. No, it doesn't tell us that. It says he runs towards him and he falls before him. He says, my son who is lost has now been found. That's the good news. Has to be the good news. It has to be the, the good news. Uh, and you see, we're here and Paul says it in Romans 10 verse 15 when he says, how can anyone preach unless they are sent? It is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Paul is talking about the responsibility of each and every one of us to share the good news with everybody that we know. Our families, our friends, our workmates, because it is good news. Because the danger sometimes as, as believers is this, 
It is a, we want to preach our message to people, our preference to people, our gospel message in a sense. And, you know, we want to preach that, but we're not to preach that. We're to preach the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That salvation brings deliverance because of the one who died on the cross. That's the good news. There are people that need to hear that God has forgiven them because of the sins that they have committed. We as the church should not add to those sins. It's not our job to do that. Our job, made clear, we're sent, preach the good news. That's what we're supposed to do. And so we go out as the messengers to share the good news with people because boy, do they need to hear the good news today. Boy, is a well to win still. And we, we get caught up sometimes, or oh, Jesus is coming back. Yes, but we want to make sure we take as many people with us into heaven when we go, don't we? Because we've shared the good news of them and let God's Holy Spirit do the rest as he brings them into salvation. This is the good news here. The good news for these people here is they're being set free. They are getting delivered. It's mirrored in the picture of what Jesus Christ did when he went to the cross. That's what the good news is. You see, the chapter is a timeless call to all God's people down through the ages when it talks about being the messengers when it talks about those with the, that have beautiful of the feet of those who bring good news, there are two things it reminds us of. The first one is, is to be powerfully active in the spread of the gospel around the world. It says it doesn't have to be called, not even necessarily sent, just our responsibility to share people, to share Jesus with people. The second one's often harder, to be free from the defilements and loss of the world. Why is that important? God says in Isaiah 52 here, he says, listen, when you go home, leave everything behind. Don't take any of the idols, don't take any of the habits, don't take any of the things, that the rituals and all that. He simply says at the end of 52 here, leave it all behind. Let go of it. You don't need to take any of it with you. It says if we're truly set free, it says that's the cost of being free, to be free from the defilements and lust of the world. We don't need to take them as a burden that we carry when we move from darkness into light. But boy, sometimes when you meet some Christians, they're carrying everything. It's like it makes no difference and you say to people, listen, this is not a decision you have made by putting your hand up. This is a call to discipleship and discipleship will be the thing that helps you to leave behind the defilements and the loss of the world because this is what God is saying here to his people. Some of this is tough light, but he's saying to them, simply leave it behind. Don't take it with you. He says, forget that stuff and he says, pick up what God has for you. And even these people as they travel on this journey, says they just can't quite do it. They can't just leave it alone. It's like that one thing that we rely on, that one thing that we think, if I let that go, I'm not quite sure what will happen. How many believers are like that often? They're just leaving that behind. And yet God says, leave it behind. This is the good news now. 
It says the good news is accepting this, that in your life God reigns, so there's peace. God reigns, so there's good news. God reigns, so there's salvation. You see, to be separate really is both that literal and spiritual. I call to purity from those who simply want to belong to the Lord. It's why God called them out of Egypt. It's why God is calling them out of Babylon now. And you see, it's bringing them to the point to understand that Jesus didn't come and the Messiah didn't come just to simply, uh, you know, it, just to simply make bad people good in a sense. It was a separation from the death that we knew to the life that he was given. Uh, and that's what they had to understand as it was spoken so many years ahead and that we looked Jesus would do. And you see, we have the advantage of hindsight in that we look back and we see what has happened. These people were looking forward and couldn't quite understand what was happening. We have no excuse. We look backwards and we see what Jesus Christ came to do. He came to save us. He came to set us free. He came to give us freedom. He came to deliver us. You see, the mark of a people redeemed by God is not just deliverance, but holiness. To be saved is to be set apart. To be one of God's people is to be set apart. And you see, we move toward through this chapter because it's coming to that tremendous chapter of what Christ Jesus was going to do, not just for this group of people, but for each and every one of us. And, and the team are going to come and they're going to finish with a song this morning. There's one line of the song that always grips me. And in the song, the song is Death Was Arrested. And at the end of it, it talks about this is the song of the redeemed, that, that we have been delivered, that we have not just been delivered, we have been made holy. And to be made holy, we are set apart. The world is not looking for a church that's popular. The world is not looking for a church that is relevant. The world is looking for a church that is holy. And they are looking at churches and saying, I want to go somewhere that's different. And to be different means to be set apart. And to be set apart means to be holy. And we are holy this morning because we are redeemed. We have been bought at a great price by the saviour of the world. You see, as God redeems Jerusalem here, it's a picture prophetically of the people from every tribe and every tongue of every nation who were going to be redeemed by the power of Jesus Christ on the by the power of Jesus Christ on the cross. Let us pray this morning. Father, we thank you this morning. Father, the challenge of your word is that there is good news. And where there is good news, it's good news that salvation has come and good news has come and peace has come. And Father, for us this morning when we are gathered in here, we thank you that you have saved us. You have set us free. But you have set us apart as well. And in setting us apart, you've made us holy. And Father, we want to be a people that are holy because of what you have done in each and every one of us in saving us and delivering us. And Father, as we come this morning, we thank you that it's about you. It's nothing to do with us. All we simply need to do is make that choice to say, I leave behind this and I take up this. 
And I thank you for that this morning. And we pray for each and every head gathered today. God, you know the needs, you know the concerns. God, would you meet them this morning? Thank you, God, for sending your son, Jesus. Amen. Amen.